Welcome to the Vanguard Church Podcast. You're about to hear a sermon from Vanguard Church Central in the heart of Colorado Springs. With every message, it's our prayer that you hear and learn how to live out your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. May your faith be strengthened, your hope increased, and your heart inspired to live for Jesus no matter the cost. Stay tuned. Thanks for listening. We're going to talk today about stewardship. And stewardship is one of our core values as a church. And we planned this uh, message back in September of last year. Uh, it's just funny how it lined up to today. And as we talk today, I want to invite you to take your program, your Bible, or your internet device. And we're going to look at Matthew chapter 6, uh, chapter 17, and chapter 22. Now, I want you to know there's three really important things that we oftentimes talk about in church. The first one is, you ready? Is when we talk about our sexuality. People get a little uncomfortable. Then if you talk about people's kids, then sometimes they get offended. But if you talk about money, your money, well, you might kill us, right? That's how personal it gets. Money is the most personal thing about a person's life. I have found this over and over and over again, uh, that when you get into talking to people about money, all of a sudden, everything about their life begins to come into focus. They might begin to flare up a little bit. They might begin to get a little defensive a little bit. And so I want to encourage you today. What we're going to talk about today is not my idea. It's God's idea. What I'm going to talk to you about today is not my plan, it's God's plan. And as you process this, I want to encourage you, you're not in a conversation with me, you're in a conversation with Almighty God and with God's Word. And so I invite you into that day, and we begin uh, in Matthew chapter 6, verse 1, and Jesus says this, "'Beware of practicing your righteousness.'" before other people in order to be seen by them. Now, I know none of us would ever do that, but if we did. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Now, what's going on here? What are they talking about? Verse 2 is going to explain it to us. When you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you, as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets that they may be praised by others. Truly, I say to you, they've received their reward. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be, somebody say it in what? Secret. Your father who sees in secret will reward you. So how do you and I live out this plan of giving in a way that reflects the glory of Christ and the mission and the passion and the plan? Number one, two words, give quietly. Give quietly. As you give, God does not want us to be arrogant about our giving. 
He doesn't want us to be showy, and he doesn't want us to say, now watch me, everybody. Do you give to look a certain way, or do you give to be generous? It's a really good question. Do you give to look a certain way to God, to other people, or do you give to be generous and care for others? See, motivation is seen in actions, but honesty and disclosure is also a part of our lives, of our church's life. So this is a little dicey for someone like myself who leads an organization and at the same time uh, is responsible publicly for an organization and so if you've been at Vanguard any length of time, you know that my philosophy is to live a full disclosure life. And trust me, I've taken it many times. I've taken the hits for this statement that I'm getting ready to make. Now, if it has something to do with my wife or my children, I have to get permission to talk about that. Because I'm the senior pastor of Vanguard, but that does not make them you know, public domain, right? And so I put up safeguards, but I accept the fact, and I've been a PK, I've been in ministry all my life, either as the son of a pastor, an SOP, or as a pastor myself. So I've lived in this fishbowl all my life. And so my philosophy, you know, uh, I know of a pastor that God asked about his finances, uh, and his answer was, God wouldn't want me to talk about that. Oh, God wouldn't, okay. Nothing like hiding behind God when somebody asks you about the most personal thing about your life that reveals, the Bible says, that where your treasure is, that's where your, your heart is. And so God would not want me to let you see where my heart is. Huh, that's interesting. I don't buy it. I don't buy it. See, I think that it's important as a leader of an organization, especially of a local church, that you accept the responsibility that comes from being in that role. And so I have said for 25 plus years now, if you have any questions about my life, just ask. If it pertains to my wife and kids, I'll need to seek permission. If it pertains to somebody else in the church, I'll need to seek permission. If it pertains to me, ask away. Anything you want to know, anything you want to know about my life, I'm not going to live this life with secrets. I'm not going to live my life. If you want to know, how did you get that? How do you live there? How do you drive that? How did you get this? They're right back there, by the way. Whatever it is that you need to know, ask. And for 25 plus years, that is the way I've lived my life, and that is the way I will continue to live my life. And so... I only have one caveat. Whatever you ask me, you want to finish it? I get to ask you. I get to ask you. Well, how dare you? No, no, no. No, that's called accountability. That's called vulnerability. That's called honesty. That's called community. That's called church. And so as we walk through the challenges of life, anything you want to know about my life, ask away. Ask away. And see, because of that, 
Giving quietly becomes a little bit of a challenge for me because in my life, I believe that I have a responsibility to be a little bit more public about what I do in order to set the example, not so I can brag about who I am, but so that I can demonstrate that I'm actually living what I am encouraging and teaching you that God's word says that we are to do. But it's important that we give quietly. It's important that we not be arrogant. And so ask me any question about the church's finances. Seriously, anything you want to know this week, it's K-E-L-L-Y at vanguardchurch.org. Anything you want to know. I want to live as an open book, not so I can brag, but so that I can be who, number one, God wants me to be. And number two, I can set an example so that others can have the courage to be who God has created them to be. Don't be showy, but at the same time, don't be secretive. Don't be secretive. Jesus continues. Look at Matthew 6, 19. Don't lay up for yourself treasures on earth. No? You mean so that it can snow and the Limbs can break and fall on your vehicle and crush. Is that what it means? Yes. Don't lay up for yourselves treasure. Don't make this earth your focus. And sometimes I say to the Lord, because I live on a farm of 17 acres with, I don't know, three or 400 trees. I've got lots of trees. And you know uh, how rare it is to have trees out here. And, and I lost 15 trees in December from all the wind. This is like the year of wind, right? And then I'm watching limbs break yesterday and a tree that we've grown for years in our front yard break in two. And, and, and I'm, I'm watching the limbs fall. And I say to the Lord, why do you do this? We work so hard to bring order to the chaos of this life. Why do you give us these examples? And I felt it was really clear, Lynn. The Lord said to me, because I don't want you to confuse this home with the home you were created for. Amen? If God does a miracle, praise him. But he doesn't do miracles so you can live here forever. My unbelieving friend, who has an unbelieving father, texted me this morning and said, my dad passed away yesterday. That is heavy on me. That is heavy on me. That is very heavy on me. Don't lay up treasures here. We're moth. Maybe we'll avoid the moths or maybe they won't be here till the end of June now. The Miller moths. Where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourself treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, you say, why is this important? Because if your treasure is in that tree, that's where your heart is. If, tr- if your treasure is in stuff, then that's where your heart will be also. So each one of us, as we, as we process how God wants us to handle money, principle number two, live to give. Live to give. If you wake up to give, 
And I want you to think about this. If you wake up to give, you wake up asking the question. At the beginning of the day, if you wake up to give, you wake up asking the question, who can I serve today? See, giving and serving always go together. If you take giving out of the equation, generally you take serving out of the equation, and there is a mindset that changes about your life. See, when I give, I'm asking, who can I serve? If you wake up to gain, you're asking yourself, what can I acquire today? And see, if you live long enough, what you're going to learn is anything you acquire in this life, you don't own it. It owns you. But if you see yourself as a steward, and I want you to listen to this verse, Psalm 24:1, the earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants belong to the Lord. So the question isn't, God, why did you let the snow break my tree? The question is, God, why did you let the snow break your tree? It's a different question. It's a different question. See, God, that's your bridge, that's your driveway, that's your tree, that's your roll of hay, that's your cow, that's your truck. It's all God's. It's all God's. But see, what we think is, no, this is all mine. And how do I keep what's mine? And we've lost a sense of stewardship because we've worshiped the idol of ownership. Now, Rick Warren, I admire what he did. Rick Warren, after 25 years of pastoring a Saddleback Church, he wrote a book called The Purpose Driven Life that sold millions of copies and he made millions of dollars. And you know what he did? He sat down and he wrote a check to his church in the amount that he could figure out, in the amount that the church had paid him to be its pastor for 25 years and he gave it back to the church. And as he said, not I said, but he said, I didn't go out and change my lifestyle. I didn't go out and buy a yacht. I continued to live the calling that God had placed on my life. And one thing that he said that really stuck with me, each one of us have to make this decision. Giving begins, you ready for this? And this might surprise you. Giving begins with determining your lifestyle. It begins there. I have to determine the lifestyle that I'm going to live, and then once I determine that, I, I say, then I'm going to live that. You say, what do you mean by that? Is giving your lifestyle or is getting your lifestyle? You can't do both. Yet you say, you mean I won't get? No, you will get. But are you going to be a person that says, I am going to wake up in the morning and I'm going to say to the Lord, Lord, what can I give today? Who can I serve? Not what can I acquire? 
And then you can say to the Lord, well, Lord, do you see that? Do you see that car repair? You see that medical bill? You see this? You see that? You see this? And the Lord says, yes, I see it all. I see it all. If you're going to live to give, you will look to serve. If you're going to live to gain, you will look to acquire. And so you have to answer that question. Now, if you live to give, here's the misnomer. If I live to give, my life will be easier. Well, there's a couple of challenges. Look at Matthew 6, 22. The eye is the lamp of the body. So if your eye is healthy, your whole body will be full of light. What is he referring to here? Let me stop here. One of the greatest challenges to give is for your motives to be purified. And so what he's talking about is your eye. Your eye is taking in all the world. And and if your eye is healthy, the whole body will be healthy. The reality is, How do you perceive it? What are you looking at? But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. Then if the light in you is darkness, how great is the darkness? No one can serve two masters. Here we go. The give and gain. Those are the two masters. Give or gain. For either he'll hate the one and love the other, or he'll be devoted to the one and despise it. You can't serve the give and the gain of this world. You got to pick. You got to pick. You got to pick. Verse 25. Therefore, I tell you, do not be, somebody say it, anxious. Not that any of us ever are, right? Of course. Don't be anxious about your life. What you'll eat, drink, nor about your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Well, I can tell you, none of us can, but I can tell you what you can do. You can subtract from your life by being consumed by anxiety. So the obstacles here, fear. Do you know what the greatest fear to giving is? It's not selfishness, though it is indirect selfishness. The greatest fear of giving is this. If I give, will I have enough? If I give, will I have enough? And you have to decide whether you're going to be a giver that gives first fruits, and we'll talk about this a little bit later in just a bit, or if you're going to give leftovers. I'll give if I have anything, or the first thing I'm going to do is give. The first thing I'm going to do is give. You can't really live, I mean truly live until you give. Because fear rules every one of us. And even though fear doesn't lose its full grip over us, when we choose to live to give, fear has to take a back seat to the journey that we're on. 
And what the Lord has said to me over and over and over again, Deb, in my life is take your eyes off what matters to you, put them on what matters to me, and I'll watch out for the things that matter to you. And he does. And he does. And he does in our lives. Now, principle number three, how does he want us to manage it? He wants us to give to truly live. See, God understands that our lives are controlled by stuff until we give. Then if we give, then he begins to work on our motivation for why we give. He deals with our impurities. He deals with the pressures. He deals with the worries and the fears. And the greatest power in every human being's life, you ready? The greatest power in every human being's life is their perception that they are in control. That's right. Some of the most miserable moments of my life have been getting to the destination of discovering that I was never in control. And what's interesting is, you know, when I go through discouraging things, people go, how are you doing? I go, I'm discouraged. I go, how are you doing? I'm discouraged. But when I get to the place that I don't feel that I'm in control and someone says to me, how are you doing? I'm doing fine. Or you're not worried? Um, not really. Not really. How come? Because I've finally gotten to the place where I understand that God, that many are the plans of a man's heart, but the way is directed by the Lord. Proverbs 19, 21. The Lord is in charge of everything and everyone. And God always gets what God wants. Always. I think, John and Sandy, I think about the, the Flick family. Tim and Shanoa Flick, who their, their son, Micah, was killed in the line of duty here in Colorado Springs, and it was, it was a very well-known story. And now they have a daughter, Chantel, who had a heart attack at age of 40, correct? And she is in Denver uh, awaiting a heart transplant. What's God going to do? She's got to sometime today go through a 9 to 15-hour open-heart surgery and receive a heart transplant, you ready, from someone who just died. This is life. This is life. So what do you say to the family of the loved one who just lost their loved one? And what do you say, right? You say, the Lord is sovereign. The Lord decides. If you decide like Job to take up a reproach against God for how he's running your life, he'll catch up with you. See, it's one thing to ask God questions, and I highly encourage you to do that because that means that you are in submission to him. But listen to me. Uh, when God finally speaks, just be quiet and listen. And when God speaks, he might not answer your questions. He might have a few questions for you. At least that's what he does with me. I'm not saying that's easy. And we certainly pray today in the name of Jesus that Chantel, she would receive, that her body would receive this heart, that you would raise her up, Lord, 
and that, God, we would see this miracle. Would you agree with me right now in Jesus' name and all God's people said? Amen. 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 Matthew 6, 28. Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon, all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, don't be anxious, saying, what shall we eat, or what shall we drink, or what shall we wear? For the Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly Father knows that, that you needed them all. But seek, here's the key word, first. Nothing at all wrong with needing things and asking God for them, but put them in priority. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Do not be anxious about tomorrow. Yes, but I am, Lord. Why not be anxious? Because tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. If you think too much about tomorrow, you ain't gonna get through today. If you choose to live for him today, you can rest assured he'll meet you in your every tomorrow. So look at Matthew 17, 24. When they came to Capernaum, the collectors of two drachma tax went up to Peter and said, does your teacher not pay the tax? He said, yes. And when he came into the house, Jesus spoke to him first saying, what do you think, Simon? From whom do kings of the earth take toil or tax? From their sons or from others? And he said, from others. Jesus said to him, then the sons are free. However, not to give offense to them. Go to the sea, cast a hook, take the first fish that comes up. When you open its mouth, you're going to find a coin, a shekel. Take that and give it to them for me and for you. Look at Matthew 22. The Pharisees went, plotted how to entangle him in his words. They sent their disciples to him along with Herodia, uh, with the Herodians saying, Teacher, we know that you're true and teach the way of God truthfully. You don't care about anyone's opinion for you're not swayed by appearances. Tell us then, what do you think? Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But Jesus, aware of their malice, said, why don't you put me to a test, you hypocrites? By the way, that probably didn't go over well. Show me the coin for the tax. And they brought him a denarius. And Jesus said to them, whose likeness and inscription is this? And they said, Caesar's. And he said to them, then render to Caesar the things that are Caesar's. But don't forget this part, and to God the things that are God's. When they heard it, they marveled. And they left him and they went away. So how does he want us to handle our money? Number one, four, he wants us to pay our taxes. He wants us to pay our taxes. Both our civil taxes and in this sense, our religious taxes. What is a religious? Look at Matthew 23, 23. How terrible it will be for you teachers of religious law. For you're careful to tithe, there it is, even the tiniest part of your income, but you ignore the important things of law, justice, mercy, and faith. You should tithe, yes, but you should not leave undone the more important things. So here's principle five. Let's be a tither. Matthew 23, 23 says, hey, don't forget that the motivation for why you do it, don't, don't lose sight of that. But while you don't lose sight of the motivation, the spirit, don't lose sight of the truth of it that God wants us to give. Now, many of you heard this story, so I won't belabor the point, but when I was eight years old, I started milking Holstein dairy cows, oftentimes known today as Chick-fil-A cows. I spent all my childhood with Chick-fil-A cows. And my dad paid me, you ready, $10 a week 
1979 to milk cows every day of my childhood and every Saturday and Sunday morning and every morning during the summer. So that's what I did with my childhood. And my dad said to me, son, I want to challenge you to be a tither. And I said, I don't know what that is. I'm eight years old. He said, I want to challenge you to give 10% of your money to God. And I go, well, dad, if I do that, I've only got nine left. And he gave me some of the most valuable advice I've ever received in my life. Son, the more money you make in life, the harder it'll get to tithe. Don't wait until you make more because you will never make enough to be a tither because it gets harder with the more money you make. And that's true, by the way. And so for 43 years of my life, I've been tithing. I've been giving 10% of my income, of what I make, whether it's as a pastor, as a farmer, whatever it is, give that back. And that's the starting point. That's the starting point, the first fruits that I give to God and I say to the Lord, Lord, this is your plan. This is your plan. And I want to challenge you to do the same. You go, I can't do it. There's only one place in the entire Bible, and it's Malachi chapter 3, where God says, test me. You want to test God? The only place he gives you permission to test him is in your money. Don't test him anywhere else. But if you want to test him, if you want to know who God is, test him. Test him and see what he'll do. And I love Malachi 3.11, and I claim it so many times in my life. My wife and I claim it so many times in our life. The Lord says, test me and see. And then verse 11 says, and I will rebuke the devourer. Amen. 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 2 Corinthians 9.6, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly are going to reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap. Each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion. For God loves a cheerful giver, and God is able to make all grace abound to you, so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound into every good work. In just a moment, we're going to call for baptism, but I want to give a challenge to you. If you've never been a tither, say to the Lord, I am going to become one today. Today. I'm going to do this. And if you say, I need help heading this direction. My brother John, my sister Sandy, sitting back at the Vanguard prayer corner back here, ready to receive you and talk with you about our stewardship ministry. We understand that it may take some time to do that, but I want to challenge you. Don't wait. Don't wait. Don't wait. Each one of us have an opportunity to live out our faith. And each one of us, as we live out our faith, God says, I want you to publicly declare it. Last week, we had four people. We had one in the first service. We had three in the second service. Praying we have more today. We're going to have baptism on June 5th. And today, you have opportunity to respond to the call for baptism. 
Now, maybe you've never said to the Lord publicly, I'm your child. By the way, this is the first step that you and I take before we become tithers, before we become givers uh, to God's house, to God's body, to God's mission and plan. God calls us to say publicly, I follow you, Lord. Now, I know some of us, because of your tradition, you've been infant baptized. Praise God. We affirm it. We're so happy that someone in your life believed in God enough to dedicate you to him. But listen to me. That was their faith. It wasn't yours. Your faith, Jesus says, here is the example that we're to follow is that we follow him in believer's baptism and we receive the identification, we receive the blessing, we receive the fellowship that comes from this public declaration. And so would you just bow your heads with me just for a few moments. Amber's gonna come. Pastor Aaron's gonna come and our band's gonna come. And what we do, if you're new to Vanguard, is that we uh, give opportunity. We'll stand together in just a moment and we will give opportunity for you to respond. Heavenly Father, as you move in the hearts of your people, as you move in the lives of your people, God, I pray, God, that if there's anybody in the room, anybody online that has never made this public profession of their faith, I pray, God, that they would do that today. And so in Jesus' name, Lord, we ask that you would give increased faith, increased courage, because, Lord, when you increase someone's faith, when you increase their courage to take this step, it grows our faith as well. And so, God, we ask you for that. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's children said, Amen. Come on, all God's children said, Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Vanguard Central Podcast. We encourage you to go out and live your faith in real relationship with Jesus and with others. God bless you, friend. See you next time.